If you have your Bible electronic device, you can, you can click to or turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians. And so we've been walking verse by verse through 1 Thessalonians. Paul is writing back into this local church. So he's writing back into this local church, and he's trying to help them understand this is, this is what a church is. And a, and, and a place of is what we've entitled all these messages. This is just what a, place, what a church is. And so last week, we got into this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is a classic text on the second coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture. And so I wasn't able to quite finish that. And so today, we're going to go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the first, verse, the first 11 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Five. But before we do that, we need to kind of finish last week's message just a little bit. Uh, we have just a little bit left to go. We'll catch everybody up. If you missed it, you may want to go back, back and see that because it's really foundational to this theology that we're walking through, the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about this issue of the second coming of Christ, the rapture, when Jesus takes the Christians out, he comes back for the Christians. It's a secret, uh, his secret coming, lifting the Christians out to church, and then we go into seven years. Year, uh, great tribulation period during that during that seven year period. Uh, we're in heaven. Uh, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, we get our crowns, our rewards of how faithfully we live this life and steward our time, talent, and resources and some of those other things. At the end of that, we throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We worship him. And then Jesus comes back, and that one's a public one. And Jesus comes back, and he touches down with the Christians. He touches down on the Mount of Olives. And, and so you can actually go there, stand there, and you can see the geography and, and understand how this plays out. He comes to this, the, the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is split from the north to the south. The Temple Mount is lifted up, and the water flows out of the Temple Mount. And it flows all the way down to En Gedi or Masada. And then that's the Valley of Armageddon where the last battle will be fought. And so I, I want to read this passage again. This is last, last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of this text, and then we'll catch up and then we'll get into some new territory. So here, here's what he says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, uh, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. So he's talking about those who have preceded you in death, those who have passed away. I read this text at every funeral, every graveside that I ever do, I, I read this text, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will defend, uh, de descend from heaven with a, with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel. And now he starts referencing Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. And with, with, the sun, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. That's where we get that word rapture. That's where the theology of the rapture comes from. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. And therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we looked at last week the rapture. The rapture is when we're caught up. The rapture is when Jesus Christ comes back and raptures the church, takes the church out. And then there's a seven-year great tribulation period. So it's when we're caught up, when we're caught up together. And then we looked at uh, last week, and then we'll just finish this up, the question of when will the rapture of the church happen? 
And so when will the rapture of the church happen? And so the, the short answer is this. We're going to read Jesus' answer. The short answer is this. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the time. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. If anyone hits the scene and tells you that they know the time, that God's revealed the time to them or the, or, or the day or something like that, then you know they're a false prophet because Jesus says no one knows. So here's what Jesus said about that. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He said, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. In other words, this happened unexpectedly. This happened suddenly. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, here's, here, here's the imperative. Here's the command. Therefore, be alert. Since you do not know what day the Lord is coming, but know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert, not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So Jesus was trying to emphasize, be alert, be ready, stay alert, stay awake, don't fall asleep. Paul's going to talk about this. So last week we looked at some of the things that Jesus said. Jesus said that you're not going to know the time or the hour, but we, know, we need to know the season. We need to know the seasons. We need to know the signs of the times. We need to be aware. And he gave us some identifiers. He gave us some things that we could identify to where we know that, that maybe this is a seasons or things are getting close. And one of the things he says is false messiahs. False messiahs are going to arrive on the scene and it's going to be some cults and they're going to talk about their God or their God and there's extra biblical stuff and revelation and all these other things. And so there's going to be some false messiah. Messiahs. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and we're seeing that right now. Are we not? I mean, when we look at what is going on in our world right now, it's not just rumors of wars. It is wars and then rumors of more wars or rumors that it could escalate. And then the second, the third thing he said, there's going to be famine. And listen, until now, I have never, for some reason, I have never tied a war to, to famine. And we're seeing it right now, right? I mean, we're seeing in my lifetime, in my lifetime, this is the greatest amount of refugees we've ever seen, that I've ever seen. And then they're talking about famine. They're talking about what's happening in the Ukraine. And they're talking about that this could affect us globally. We could have a global food shortage because 25% of the world's wheat comes out of the Ukraine and fertilizers out of Russia and some of those other things. And because of the sanctions with Russia and because of the desolation in, in, in the Ukraine, that we could see, we could see a wheat shortage and we, we could see a shortage a worldwide shortage of food. This is the first time in my lifetime that we've ever seen anything like that. And then he said there's going to be persecution. There's going to be persecution of believers and persecution of the church that it's becoming more and more difficult just to simply be a Bible-believing Christian to where you say, I believe this is the Word of God, and I can take these principles, apply it to my life, and I can stand on that. And then he said false prophets are going to, go, are, are going to, are, are going to come. And oh my word, these last two years, have we not had our fair share of false prophets? In social media, I'm telling you, social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, 
has made it easier for, faith, for, for false prophets to like get their word out and to develop a following. And then the last one that, that Jesus said that we didn't have a chance to look at last week, maybe the one of the ones that for me is one of the most concerning, is this issue of apathy. This issue of apathy or this issue of indifference, and now Jesus begins talking about the church. Jesus begins talking about believers. See, these other ones, Jesus was saying, you're going to see famines, you're going to see wars and rumors of wars, you're, you're going to see false prophets, you're going to see, you're going to see some difficult stuff, and then all of a sudden he says, hey, but I, I, I need to let you know how this is going to affect some believers. You're going to see apathy. You're going to see some believers that become really indifferent, indifferent to the church, indifferent to the gospel, indifferent to what's going, they're just going to become indifferent. And so all of a sudden he gives a warning and he tells us why this is going to happen, which is so fascinating to me. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24 verse 12. He says, because of lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. So he's talking about believers. The love of many will grow cold. He's not talking about losing your salvation, that once, once you're sealed in him, once you have accepted him, that your salvation is, is, is final, your salvation is secure in him. So he's not talking about that. He's talking about getting discouraged. He's talking about losing faith. He's talking about coming to the place that you're so discouraged that you're kind of indifferent to the scriptures. You're indifferent to the gospel. You're indifferent to the church. And so he says, because the lawlessness will multiply, the love of God, love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The good news of the kingdom will be, be proclaimed in all the world as testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So when Jesus uses this phrase, the love of many will grow cold, he in the Greek, it literally says becoming less hot, becoming lukewarm. Remember, remember in, in, in Revelation chapter 1 through 3 when Jesus wrote the letters to the church in, at the end times into one church? He says, you know what? He says, the love of me is, is, like, is now like lukewarm. It's neither cold nor hot. It's lukewarm. And so he's talking about this issue of process. And so the, the question is why? Right? That's the question I have. I mean, why would this happen? Why does this take place in why does this take place in these times? And Jesus answered that the statement before he says, because of the lawlessness will will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. And Jesus says, because in these times, because of the, the increase of wickedness, the increase of just total full-on rebellion to the law in your face. No longer right or wrong. Corruption. The redefinition of what is right and what is wrong. We no longer allow God's word to speak into our culture, God's word to speak in our time. As a result, it's going to happen slowly over time. And because of that, people are going to start watching what's going on in the country, watching what's going on in the government, watching what's going on with our leaders, watching, and they're going to watch this increase in wickedness. Lawlessness is going to increase. And as a result of that, they're going to come to the place and just kind of be indifferent to the gospel indifferent to the scriptures and they're going to move from being either hot or cold and they're going to move to this this center of just lukewarm and you know what we're seeing it in our time right they tell us 
that church attendance across the nation is 30% of what it was pre-COVID. That something happened in this period. Something happened in this time to where we all know somebody, a friend, a relative, or someone that we used to go to church with, and now they've come out of this, and they're just kind of indifferent to church. And they were once serving, and they were once attending, and all of a sudden they've come out of this, and they've just become indifferent to the Scriptures. They've become indifferent to the Gospel. And Jesus says this is a warning to us. Because when you look at this, it's a root issue of, of just a symptom of the issue of how they view the gospel to where God is no longer really on their radar in their life. And it, it, it causes the love of Christ to grow cold in their life. Jesus goes on, verse 13, and he says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. And so here's the crazy thing. During these times, there's going to be the love of God will grow cold in some people's life, and then, and then you will have this increased wickedness, increased lawlessness, but at the same time, the gospel is going to go out to the entire world. And we're seeing that right now. With, with, with the internet, with Zoom, with some other things. That's how I have a relationship with Pastor Igor, right? That's how our church has a, has a relationship with Pastor Igor and the, 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 the ministry that we're having right now in the Ukraine because of that. And so because of technology like never before, as long as someone has an internet connection, guess what? They can get the gospel. They, guess what? They, they can hear about Jesus. And so Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so then Paul goes into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and he gives us some things to remember. He gives us some things that, that, should, that we should be aware of, that should encourage us. And, and so I want to give those to you this morning. The first thing is this, or actually the second principle is this, is we're to be aware of his return. We're to be aware of his return all through Jesus' teaching, Paul's teachings, the Apostle John's teachings. We're to be aware of the second coming of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, he says this. He said, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That phrase, thief in the night, is important. Jesus used that, that, that phrase, and now the Apostle Paul uses that phrase. And he says, hey, guess what? The, the, Jesus is going to come like a thief, like a thief breaks into your house. I don't know if you've ever been robbed. I don't know if you've, you've ever gone through that experience. When we lived in Houston, Texas, uh, we went out one night for, for dinner, uh, Karen and I and our two girls, and we went out for dinner, and we came back home. And I don't know if you've ever been broken into or robbed, but it's a weird deal. And so I opened up the front door, and I could just tell. I had a sense something was not right. And so I opened up the door, and I kind of looked in the, the living area, and, and things were, were strung out all through our house, and someone had gone through our things. And so I didn't know if they were still in the house. I didn't know what was going on. And so I turned to Karen and said, you go in and check the house. I'll go get help. And so... Uh, <laughs> So, so that's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> kind of. It's so, uh, <laughs> actually, we had a police officer live down the street, so we went and got him. 
Uh, we went and got him, and he cleared the house. And so we were so thankful for him. He is Texas Ranger, and so we were just so thankful for him. And so, so that's what we did. But here's the interesting deal about that. that it came at a total shock to us, surprise to us. So, so the thief did not like, like call us and say, hey, by the way, Wednesday night when you guys go out for dinner, I'm going to swing by your house about 645, and I'm going to rob you, right? Because if he had done that, we would have taken some precautions. And Jesus says, or, or Paul is saying, that Jesus is going to come that same way. I mean, it's just going to be unexpected. It's going to be without announcement. Verse 3, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Like labor pains a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So now he's talking about this issue, just like a thief in the night, a thief comes in to rob, also childbirth, nobody knows the exact moment, nobody knows the exact time, but there's, there's seasons of childbirth. There's seasons of childbirth, and he's trying to help us to understand that, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be sudden. And he said somebody's going to stand up and say peace and security, right? Probably a government official. Probably somebody from the government is going to stand up and say, peace and security. We've got everything under control. And it's going to be a false sense of peace. Verse 4, he says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. And so Paul is saying, just be aware. Jesus is saying, be aware. Alert. Don't fall asleep. Just be alert to what is happening. One of my favorite stories, I was, I was raised in, in East Texas, and I mean, it's, it's deep into, the, in, into East Texas. And, and so there was a guy, he was kind of a legend. I don't know if it's, it, 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 I never met him, uh, but, but it, it's a legend of this guy. And his name was Quill and Quill. Now, I don't know if his first name was Quill or his middle name was Quill. He's from Texas. That's probably the way it went down. But, uh, but everybody called him Quill and Quill. And Quill and Quill had a cabin in a remote area of, of just East Texas, just a remote area. Everybody in that area knew Quill uh, illegally hunted. I mean, whatever he caught or shot, he did, it, he did it illegally. Everybody in the community knew it. The game warden knew it. Knew it. And so the game warden came to this place that he decided, you know what, I'm going to nail Quill. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch him at this. So, so one, one early, early morning, the game warden hiked in to Quill's remote cabin, knew he was there, had a sleeping bag, slept outside, you know, in the cover of the night, got up early that next morning, started watching Quill's cabin, noticed a light came on, and then all of a sudden he could see smoke coming out of the chimney. So he was like, this is it. Quill does not know I'm here. I'm going to nail Quill. I'm going to get him. I'm going to end this whole deal. All of a sudden, Quill steps out on the front porch and screams, Hey, I know you're out there. You might as well come on in and have breakfast with me. <laughs> Game Warren's like, How did Quill know? I do not understand that. So he goes in, and Quill's like, like cooking breakfast. And so he sits down, and he's having breakfast with Quill. And he says, Quill, I got to know, how did you know I was out here? And Quill's like, I didn't. I scream that every morning just in case you're here. <laughs> I mean, it's the, I mean, he was, he was, you got to give it to him. He was alert. He stayed ready. And so what, what Jesus is telling us and what Paul is telling us, you got to stay alert. You got to stay ready. You got to, uh, you got to understand the signs and times of the season. Yes, 
There are some, and their love of God is going to grow cold. There are some, they're going to drift away from the church. There are some that are going to get so discouraged with what's going on in the government, the laws that are coming in the land, and all of those other things, and they're going to think the gospel is powerless against that. And Paul is saying, and Jesus said, don't be one of those. In verse verse 5, he says, for you are all children of the light and children of the day, and we do not belong to the night or the darkness. So he's helping them to understand, you're believers, you're Christians, you got the light of Christ in you. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, since we belong to Christ, let us be self-controlled and put on the full armor of, of faith and what? The faith and love and the helmet of of the hope of salvation. And so what, what Paul is trying to say, what's going to happen is lawlessness increases. The anxiety and the depression level of people is also going to increase. I mean, you can talk to any counselor right now. I mean, you can talk to any counselor. You can look at any secular study that is out there. And some will say that 50% of Americans right now are either depressed, discouraged, or dealing with some level of anxiety of what's going on. And so a lot will turn to, to, like, to try to self-medicate, to do anything to try to self-medicate, to numb the pain, to numb their anxiety, or to numb their discouragement. And Paul says, don't be one of those. I mean, understand, you're people of the light. You're children of God. And then put on the full helmet, the armor of what? Of faith and love. And he's going to go on in a little bit and talk about the opposite of that. And he says, in this chaos that is happening, just be ready. Just be alert. I'm trying to help you to understand what is coming. I'm trying to help you to understand the seasons. And then the third thing he says that we're to be encouraged by, we're to be encouraged by the promise of his return. I mean, the promise of his return should encourage us, should not give us fear, should not give us anxiety, should not give us concern. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. So in, the, in this time, we're to build each other up, not tear one another down. One of the things that concerns me so much is I'm watching Christian turn on Christian. I'm watching Christian destroy Christian. I'm watching Christians tear each other down, forgetting that, guess what? We're on the same team. Guess what? We're in this together. And so when you hear this teaching, listen, it should not give you fear, and it should not uh, discourage you. It should encourage you. Now, listen, to be honest, when I first heard of this teaching, uh, I came to faith in Christ in the 80s, and I was single at the time. And then all of a sudden, I started hearing that Jesus is like going to come back. And so I don't know if you're like me. I started saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm glad you're coming back. Could you wait a little bit? Right? I'd like to get married. I mean, could you wait until I get married? And, and I'd like to go on that honeymoon. I'd like to experience that. So could you wait till after that? And then I got married. Then I went on a honeymoon. Then we had a vacation. I'm like, could you wait until after the vacation? And then I wanted kids. And I said, could you wait until like, like after we have kids? I, I want to experience that. I want to I have kids. And then we had two little girls. And our two little girls grew up to be teenagers. And I'm like, Jesus, come back tonight. I mean, just, I mean, could you literally, could you literally... Could you literally come back before they start driving? That'd be awesome. That'd be like awesome. And, and so, but if you're like me, maybe you've had some of those, those feelings and some of those emotions. But the second coming of Jesus Christ should not give you fear. Should not give you fear. It should encourage you. Why? Because we have salvation. Look at this. This is what Paul says, verse 8. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the full armor of faith and love in a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you know what he's trying to help us to understand? He's trying to help us to understand you're going to have temptation in this, in this season. You're going to have temptation to either put on the hope or the armor of faith and love or the armor of wrath. We see that in the Christian community, right? To where some people, you know what? We're just going to go to war. And we'll no longer love our neighbors as ourselves. And Paul is saying, don't, don't do that. The way through this is put on the full armor of faith and, and love. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but wrath is when anger is no longer funny. When anger becomes destructive. When anger destroys homes and marriages and relationships and churches and countries and everything else. And he said, don't do that. You, you're going to have to force yourself, put on the full armor of faith and love because because you know you, you know you have salvation. If you got convicted of a crime and, and you went to trial and, and you presented your case and they've, they've presented their case and the jury is like deliberating and all of a sudden you're waiting for the jury to come back in and to, to give the verdict and all of a sudden as you're sitting there waiting for the judge and the jury, all of a sudden your attorney leans over to you and whispers to you and says, hey, they're going to find you not guilty. You couldn't wait for the verdict, right? You couldn't wait for it to be made per public. This, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Paul is talking about. Because we know that we're not guilty. And we know that we're not guilty because of salvation, because we've been forgiven. We've been totally and completely forgiven. We are deeply loved in him. And because of that, we have the promise of salvation. And then look at this, a promise of a, of a reunion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now, sometimes when we look at this passage, for some reason, we skip over the together. We step over together and we say, oh, heaven is when we'll be with him. Heaven is when, or the second coming is when we'll be reunited, reunited with him. But he makes this statement that we will live together with him. Who is together? All of the people that preceded us in death. All of the people that we've stood in a, in a cemetery at a gravesite. We've stood in a chapel. We've stood in a church. And we've stood over their body and says, you know what? We may grieve, but we do not grieve without hope. Because we know we will see them again. And sometimes we gloss over that. And what Paul's trying to help us understand, oh my word, you're going to be reunited with all of your loved ones, believers in Christ. I think of one of my favorite healings of Jesus was Luke chapter 8 with, with Jarius' daughter. It was a crazy day there, there in Capernaum. And, and you can actually go to this house. I've been, I've been to this house in, in Israel. You can actually go to the house where this took place. And Jarius gets word to Jesus that his daughter had passed away. And so Jesus, Jesus arrives at the house and he, only, he cleared the house out and he only let, let Peter, uh, James, and John in the house with him. And he heals Jarius' daughter. And then he heals her and he takes her outside and she's reunited with her family right there. 
It says her family was, was like astounded. They were shocked and they threw this party. That's what heaven's going to be like. That's what this moment is going to be like. So one of the reasons it encourages us is because of a promised reunion. And then it says, because we will, we will be with him forever. Not only are we going to be our loved ones, we're going to be with him. Verse 17b, and, and then, then again in, in verse 10 it says, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And verse 10, I just read it. We may live together with him. And when you look at this, you realize that that's one of the reasons we're encouraged by this thing. Because, listen, as a believer, we're totally and completely fit, forgiven. We are deeply loved in him. We have the promise of salvation. Listen, once you have salvation, what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, you are sealed in him, and you cannot lose your salvation. And the last thing that, that Paul tells us and told them was we're to, we're to be ready. We're, just to, we're, we're to be ready. We're, we're to understand. And he says, verse 42 in, in, first, in Matthew chapter 24, he says, Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you're also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And so I, I honestly think we, we should live life expecting him to come back tomorrow. Expecting him to come back when we least expect it. Expecting him to come back because... We have a relationship with him that we know that we're going to live with him forever and it should not concern us. There's so many people in, 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 in these days that think this is kind of a denominational thing. This has nothing to do with denominations. And a lot of people that say, well, you know what? I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Charismatic. And, 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 and because my name is on a church roll somewhere... That means I have salvation. And Scripture says what? Scripture says salvation is when we come to faith in Christ. When we accept his forgiveness, we accept his atoning sacrifice for us on the cross. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you look at the times we live in, denominations are in trouble, right? Denominations are dividing. Denominations who once stood firmly on the word of God is drifting farther and farther away from the word of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I, I, recently, I just started thinking about this, and I did some study. The word denomination, the, the root word for denomination, is the same root word for denominator. And so for you math wizards out there, how do you get a common denominator? You divide. And we're watching denominations right now just divide. Salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's coming to Christ, understanding his atoning sacrifice for you on the cross and that you're totally and completely forgiven. And so that's why Jesus says we, we have to be watchful. He says, verse 42, he says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, he said, So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. You have to be watchful. What Jesus is saying, you need, to, you need to live this life and live this season's eyes wide open. Be aware when someone stands up and says, peace and security, we've got this whole thing figured out. Be aware when people start using language about new world order. And we're going to bring that in. 
Be aware when all of a sudden that bill starts running through the Senate and the Congress, which is happening right now, about digital wallets and digital money to where they'll get rid of cash. And we'll have digital wallets, we'll have digital money. They'll be able to fl fluctuate or, or, or manipulate the markets in an instant with, with, with the interest rates, with prime up and down. They'll be able to m remove money out of your account for taxes and things like that. Oh, and they'll also be able to shut down so you can no longer buy and sell goods. Be aware of the signs of the times. Be aware of the seasons. Learn to live life with your eyes wide open so when you see the news and when you see people making statements or whatever, you can, you can understand, you know what, it's, it's a season. It's a changing of a season. So Jesus said, not only be watchful, but just, just be ready. He says, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. And then the last thing he, he warned us, he said, just, just be faithful. Do not allow your love to grow cold regardless of what you see. Do not allow your love to grow cold regardless how lawlessness multiplies in the Lamb. That I am sovereign and I am control. Paul went on and said in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love. And a helmet of the hope of salvation, for God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through. How do you obtain salvation? Through Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up as you're already doing. And Paul reminded us in these days that salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. And that because of that, we build each other up because we understand we're children of the day and not children of the night. Jesus, to illustrate this in Matthew chapter 24, so Matthew, cha or Matthew 25, but Matthew 24, Jesus talked about the end times. And I've read all of those scriptures for you. And then he rolls into Matthew 25. And so in, 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 in using this, there were no, in his times, there were no chapter breaks or anything like that. That was something that's added later just to make it easier to reference a scripture, to find a scripture. And so, so really it's a continuous thought. Really it's a continuous conversation. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 writes about the end times. And then in Matthew 25, he just simply says, let me give you this illustration. It's, it's, like, it's like 10 virgins. And five had oil in their lamps, and five did not have oil in their lamps. And they were waiting. They were waiting for the, the bridegroom to appear. Weddings in their day culturally were different than ours. In our day, uh, the groom waits for the bride. In their day, the bride waited for the groom. And who is the bride? The bride is a church. Who is the groom? Jesus. And so Jesus helped them to understand an illustration that was so easy for them to understand. And so these ten virgins, five would have all oil in their lamps and five wouldn't. The five that had oil in their lamps, the oil represented the, the Holy Spirit. It represented the presence of the Holy Spirit. It represented that they were in Christ. They were believers. And they're waiting. So in their day, the way that it would happen, the wedding party would wait for the, the bridegroom to show up and only the ones with oil in their lamps went with the bridegroom and this is the picture of the church 
making sure that, guess what? There is oil in your lamp, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the way that you do that is faith in Christ. And Jesus made it clear and Paul made it clear that salvation is found not in a denomination, not in keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. Salvation is found in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you've come to the place, if you've asked him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and then you have his presence in you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?